Hello, I'm your host, Stephanie Miller, and you're listening to The Killer Kind. I hope everyone is enjoying their summer so far. It's been a busy one over here, but I'm excited to be back with you guys today. Now, today's episode takes place during the summer of 2015 on a beautiful lake in Tennessee. The case is troubling and will leave you a little angry, as a lot of my cases do. We have a beautiful young girl who is found floating in a Tennessee lake. But when her friends don't report her missing and continue to party even after finding out she died, it leads you to wonder what really happened. So is this an accident or a homicide? Well, let's dive in and try to find out, shall we? This is the tragic case of Lauren Agee. Lauren Taylor A.G. was born on August 19, 1993. Although she was born in Biloxi, Mississippi, she moved with her mom to Hendersonville, Tennessee, and grew up in a house with her mom, Sherry, her stepfather, Michael, and her three siblings, Allison, Jordan, and Joshua. Lauren was known as a beautiful, hilarious, energetic, and bubbly person who had a huge zest for life. She was super passionate about sports, gymnastics, and most of all, dancing. As a little girl, she would stand in front of the TV and copy dance moves from music videos. She even starred in a music video when she was a teenager. And her love for dance resulted in a scholarship to Bethel University, which she ended up turning down to study criminal justice at Vol State in Gallatin, Tennessee. Lauren was gorgeous. She was outgoing and very popular. She had a bunch of friends and a new boyfriend in her life who she was calling the one. She truly had a bright future ahead of her. But everything would take a turn in the summer of 2015. Lauren tells her mom that she had been invited to Wakefest, which is a huge wakeboarding tournament on Center Hill Lake in Smithville, Tennessee. It's promoted as a community outreach event designed to promote the sport of wakeboarding, but everyone that's been or seen anything about it knows it's one weekend-long party on the lake. An exciting weekend for a young 21-year-old like Lauren. The only issue was that she was invited by her friend Hannah Palmer, which her mom was not really a fan of. In interviews, Sherry said that Hannah was the kind of friend that was only around in between boyfriends. Likely someone who was there for you when it was time to party and live it up. Not as much as the two had serious boyfriends. I don't know about my male listeners out there, but I know I've had friends just like that. And I've had friends that have friends like that. So, and those are always the black, like the bad influences, right? <laughs> so Sherry's concern is understandable. Plus, Sherry said that she just kind of had a bad feeling about her daughter going. She couldn't really put her finger on it, but she didn't really want to let it go. But like most parents, you want your kids to be happy. And she trusted Lauren, so she ultimately decided to let her go. The day that Lauren left, her mom watched her walking out the door, and she stopped her. She wanted to just give her one last hug. Then after that, Lauren got in the car and headed off. 
So Lauren attended Wakefest 2015 with her friend Hannah Palmer, but also Hannah's boyfriend Aaron Lilly and his friend Chris Stout. Now this obviously looks like a double date type of situation, so Lauren wasn't thrilled about this Chris guy coming. Hannah later stated that she didn't really know much about Chris, and Lauren had never met him either until that weekend. But they ultimately decide to make the best of it and know that it's going to be fun regardless. So Lauren and Hannah arrive at Wakefest on Friday, July 24th. They spent the car ride up, just the two of them, and they documented their road trip on social media. They eventually meet up with Chris and Aaron, and together they all spend the rest of the day drinking, watching the water sports, and partake in some cliff diving, which if you've been to a lake before, you've probably seen plenty of people jumping off huge rocks or cliffs as some consider it. Is it safe? No, but a lot of people do it every summer. Now I'm going to pause and say there wasn't much known about that Friday night that I could find. From what I understand though, the group got to the lake. They set up their campsite on a sketchy cliff, which we'll get into later, but they set up camp along with a bunch of other Wakefest attendees and then hung out at the lake and partied. The following day, the 25th, was a long day at the lake. Again, they participate in some cliff jumping and drinking, and there was actually an accident early on in the trip where they all were taking turns jumping off the cliff and into the water. Well, it comes to Lauren's turn to jump. She does. She jumps perfectly. She avoids the visible rocks, but once she hit the water, she came very close to the bottom and actually hit the back of her head on a big rock. She was reportedly out of it for a short period of time and had a possible concussion. But supposedly, she ended up being okay and was able to carry on with the rest of the day. Later that night, the group went out to a bar and there was security footage that captured Lauren and the others inside the bar where Lauren can be seen being her normal, energetic, and lively self. A security guard at Wakefest named Chris Yarchuk also said he saw Lauren at the bar. And according to him, she, Hannah, Aaron, and Aaron's friend Chris leave the bar at about 2 a.m. Again, security cameras confirm this as well. The security guard said that he saw the group walk down the dock by the lake. He said they took a boat or canoe back to their campsite. There was also a girl by the name of Cassie Franks that went to high school with Lauren who also confirmed seeing her at the bar that night. Cassie said, though, that Aaron's friend Chris had kind of been glued to her. She said that he had been flirting with Lauren and definitely seemed interested in her. However, Cassie said that Lauren made it very clear to him that she was not looking to meet anyone as she had a boyfriend who she was very happy with. So she just wanted to have fun with her friends this weekend. But anyways, the group is headed back to their campsite. And on the way back, a video is taken. And in that video, Lauren can be heard describing where they're going and how it looks to be a cliff on both sides. Then Hannah makes a chilling comment in the background. She says, quote, we're going into a death trap. And unfortunately, she was right. And here's the thing. This campsite wasn't much of a campsite at all. Where the small group was staying literally was the edge of a cliff. 
Supposedly, Lauren was under the impression that they would be staying in one of the cabins designated by Wakefest. However, when Lauren got there, she realized the plans had changed. Come to find out, the plan was for Hannah and Aaron to stay in a tent together, and then Lauren and Chris had to share a hammock which Lauren was obviously upset about because she didn't want to sleep in a hammock with some guy she didn't even know when she had a boyfriend back home. That was ridiculous. And not only that, the hammock was hung dangerously close to a cliff's edge, which was 35 foot drop or more straight into the water on one side. And it was a 90 foot drop on the other side of like where the tent was. So they were basically in the center of a cliff on both sides. Now, according to her friend Cassie, she ran, who she ran into that night, Lauren did ask if she could go with her group instead of back with Hannah and the guys because she obviously wasn't a fan of the sleeping arrangements that, that night. And Cassie knew how the cliffs were, and she said that she was actually worried about Lauren staying up there. However, Cassie told her they didn't have any more room in the cabin that they were staying in. And apparently, Cassie wasn't the only one Lauren asked to stay with that night. But sadly, nobody offered her a safer place to sleep. So she had no choice but to go back to the cliff with Hannah, Aaron, and Chris. Now I want to add that while at the bar, she was texting her friend Jade, who was not at Wakefest. Lauren was asking if she could come pick her up because she wasn't having fun and was ready to leave. Reports came out later and were given to police that Lauren was heard throughout the day that Saturday venting to various people saying she wanted to go home because Hannah and the others were being mean to her. And apparently, Jay tried to call Lauren, but her calls weren't going through, likely because of the lack of service out there on the lake. But Jade texted her saying she would try her best to come get her, but at this point, it was already midnight and it was not a short drive, so she wasn't sure if it was a good idea. And you might ask, could Lauren not have driven herself? Because from what I understand, she drove her and Hannah up there. Well, supposedly, Hannah and the boys took Lauren's keys from her that night. I believe, I read somewhere and I couldn't find it now, but Hannah claimed that she didn't want Lauren driving home drunk. So that's why she took her keys. But others have said they took her keys just to mess with her, not to keep her from drinking and driving. Ultimately, though, Lauren had no choice but to stay at the lake that night. Early that next day, July 26th, Hannah woke up and went over to the hammock to check on Lauren and Chris. And Lauren wasn't there. Hannah woke Chris up and asked him where Lauren was. And he said that she had woken up in the middle of the night, but he didn't know how long ago this was and how long she'd been gone. Hannah claimed that she started looking for her right away, but they ultimately thought Lauren had maybe gone off with some friends and got out on the lake early that morning. However, Hannah noticed that Lauren's flip-flops, purse, and cell phone were all still at the campsite. So she said that she was a little worried, but tried not to think about it too much, that they would just keep an eye out for her. The group never reported Lauren missing or anything like that and again just assumed that she had gotten started on her day despite some crucial personal belongings but whatever <laughs> it wasn't until 4 30 p.m when two fishermen 
found a female body floating in a cove. The two men immediately called 911. Ryan Melanson was an off-duty officer that was the first person to arrive at the scene. The second person to arrive was the security guard, Chris Yartuk. Together, they went with the two fishermen over to the cove where the body was floating in the water. As they get out to the spot, the officers spot a man paddling in a canoe towards their direction. The officers told the man to stop and head back, and the man said, but that could be our friend over there. That man happened to be Aaron Lilly. The officers at the scene found that to be a little odd. One of them would later say that he felt that this run-in was staged, that he wanted them to think that he was looking for this person when he likely was not, especially since it seemed to be like he knew the person there, even though when he first pulled up, they were a pretty good distance away from the body. So they were surprised that he would have even known that it was a body. But Aaron was right, and it was his, quote, friend there. The female body found floating in the cove was that of Lauren A.G. In the meantime, Lauren's mom had been trying to get in touch with her daughter pretty much the whole day. She had called Lauren multiple times that morning and sent a few text messages, but she never heard from her. It wasn't until she got the worst news a parent could ever receive. Sherry said that when she got the news that her daughter was deceased, her first question was, where are the people she was with? Well, after Aaron randomly showed up, claiming to be searching for Lauren, Officer Melanson wanted to talk to Aaron. So he brought him up on their pontoon boat and started talking to him. Melanson said that Aaron showed them where their campsite was and just wanted to ask about Lauren and what could have possibly happened to her. Aaron said what we already know. That Chris knew Lauren, woke up in the middle of the night, but he wasn't sure how long she'd been gone. Aaron claimed that the group had been looking around for her all day, but thought that maybe somebody came and got her early that morning, and they thought she was with another group of people at Wakefest at this point. Eventually, Hannah, Chris, and Aaron were formally taken down to the DeKalb County Police Department for questioning. And as they were, their stories started to change. Despite Lauren's belongings being left at the campsite, Aaron Lilly initially says that he saw Lauren at the bar around midnight. In a written statement, he claimed that Lauren left the cliff that late that night to meet an old boyfriend. So in my mind already, it's like, which is it? Did you see her at midnight at the bar or do you see her at the cliff leaving to go meet an ex-boyfriend? Already starting to be shady. But Aaron claimed that he saw that ex-boyfriend the following morning that Lauren was missing and he told him that he met up with Lauren who tried to make a move on him and he supposedly refused. And in that statement, Aaron claimed that he last saw her around midnight before he and Hannah got into bed in their tent. This was obviously disputed by Officer Chris Yarchuk who saw the group leaving the bar at 2 a.m. And besides that, where does this ex-boyfriend story even come from? There were other people that said, yes, Lauren's ex-boyfriend was at Wakefest, but he had a new girlfriend that was there. So I highly doubt Lauren went to find this guy 
and tried to, quote, make a move on him. It sounds like a made up story, if you ask me, a convenient one, if anything. But not only were their claims odd and seemed to be random, Officer Melanson said both Aaron and Chris seemed very nervous and anxious throughout the interview. And he also stated that they showed no sympathy whatsoever. Hannah mentioned seeing Lauren get in a boat with a group of unknown people very early that Sunday morning. But in her written statement, she gave the same story we already know. That Lauren went back to the campsite with them that night, they all went to bed, and when they woke up, she was gone. She also claimed they looked for Lauren at the marina. And there's an interview where Chris can be heard claiming the same thing. That they went back to the marina where the bar was the night before. They went back there thinking that's where she would eventually have to come to if she was on someone else's boat. Chris said they waited and waited and waited, but she never showed up. And speaking of Chris, he had that same similar story to Aaron. However, his screams red flag to me because in his written statement, he never mentions Lauren's name. He always calls her the girl. Distancing himself from Lauren, sort of disassociating, if you will. I've heard convicted killers do the same thing. Just saying. But anyways, he says, The girl came to our campsite for a few minutes, saying she was going to see her ex-boyfriend. Then he supposedly fell asleep, and when he woke up, she was gone. He said he too saw her ex-boyfriend that following morning and gave the same story that he turned down her advances towards him and all that, blah, blah, blah. In that interview, though, he is asked what he thinks happened to Lauren. And he said, quote, my honest opinion is that she got up to go to the bathroom and slipped. One day after Lauren's body was found and when the weekend was over, Sherry's mom saw an Instagram post made by this Chris Stout. She claims that when she first saw it, she noticed it was a picture of Chris on a boat with Aaron and Hannah in the background smiling. And in the caption, it read, Best weekend ever. Which was sickening to even think that that's possible. And Sherry was equally a sickened. That caption changed shortly after, and what it said, and I'm sure what it says now, isn't much better in my opinion. It said, quote, Wakefest 2015 went pretty good this year. Met some new friends that made it awesome. Are you kidding? And to me, this says all I need to know about Chris Stout, right? Even if he had nothing to do with it, it's a great way to make himself look guilty. Now, I'm going to pause again and be completely honest with you guys. This case is hard to follow. There is a lot of different interviews conducted, meaning like investigators, private investigators, the like off-duty officers and the DeKalb County officers. There's a lot of like different little interviews here and there. So it's hard for me to follow which ones were conducted by who and when. But, as always, I want to give you all the information I can. So, <laughs> mainly, I want to talk about, like, Hannah, Aaron, and Chris. However, 
there has been a fourth member of the group that has been mentioned briefly here and there a couple times. So it's hard for me to understand his exact involvement because it's like he was there, but he wasn't. But there's no mention of where this guy would have slept at the campsite or if, if he was with them at the bar that night before. Like, what was his involvement? But you'll see shortly that he was definitely involved with the group the night Lauren went missing. His name is Brixner Gambrel, which is sounds like a tongue twister. So as we get into the months and years after Lauren's death, he's going to be mentioned. Like I said, although it's hard to exactly place him, but bear with me on this, okay? <laughs> From what I understand, Lauren's friend Jade and Cassie, who we talked about before, were both interviewed as well. It's unclear to me if they were interviewed by DeKalb County Police or by the private investigator that's going to get involved in the case, which we'll get into shortly, or both, and I'm sure it's both. However, there was one witness that came forward and spoke to police. His name was Chris Brown, and yeah, I know, Chris Brown, (laughs) and he said he was camping near the lake with his wife and kids, which happened to be at or around the same lake where Wakefest was taking place. He told police that at around midnight, he saw a man swimming towards him and said, I saw a young man climb up on the dock. The young man appeared extremely distraught and worn out. He was spitting up water for several minutes. He told me that he almost drowned when he swam back from the camping ledge to the dock. The man that he believes he saw was Aaron Lilly. He thought it was Aaron not only because of his physical appearance, but also because the man he saw was wearing knee-length American flag print swim trunks, which is what Aaron was actually wearing at Wakefest. Now, this account wasn't taken seriously for a couple reasons, one being those swim shorts are pretty common print, but more importantly was the time that he claims to have seen this guy. He claimed this happened at midnight. However, there was evidence that Lauren was seen at the bar still with Aaron and her other friends up until 2 a.m. So it could be that this witness had just gotten the time wrong or that he was guessing about the time or it could be totally made up and nobody really knows because there's nobody else coming forward with something similar to this. But let's get into what we do know. So after the discovery of Lauren's body, an official autopsy was conducted to determine her cause of death. The toxicology report showed that she had twice the legal limit of alcohol in her system and that the cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head and possible drowning. Lauren had a broken nose and fingers and her body was bruised and battered. It was also determined that she had very little water in her lungs despite being submerged. Now, we'll get into more details and suspicions here in a second, but Officer Yarchuk, who helped recover Lauren's body, said that he noticed a few things that didn't quite fit with the accidental death theory. He claimed that he noticed what looked to be a bite mark on her chest and significant bruising around her thighs. He suggested that a rape kit be done because of this. However, no such test was conducted and no swabs or DNA tests were taken. Ultimately, Lauren's death was ruled an accidental drowning after falling from the cliff and into the water below. 
Hannah, Aaron, Chris, and Brixner were never considered suspects, and foul play was never considered either. However, Sherry's gut instinct told her this couldn't be further from the truth. Sherry tried to get investigators to look into the possibility of foul play, but her requests were denied. Hannah and Aaron got married and moved to Florida. Brixner lawyered up and moved out of state as well. Chris Stout, though, stayed in trouble. He was in and out of jail multiple times for DUIs. So this group just looks shady as all get out. (laughs) They were never considered suspects, yet they all skipped town like nothing happened. The worst part, though, none of them, not a single one, attended Lauren's funeral. Hannah is the only one who has shown any emotion publicly, and that was really only when she was doing, like, interviews with investigators. And Officer Yarchuk said that he was one of the first people to speak to Hannah and that when he spoke to her, she seemed very flustered, but, quote, not in a devastated way. Yarchuk and Melanson both said they interacted with Chris and Aaron, and they noticed, again, that neither showed emotion, zero remorse from either one of them. But nonetheless, the case was closed. That was according to the DeKalb County Police. It may be officially closed, but Lauren's family certainly didn't get any closure. Sherry wanted answers. She wanted to know how and why Hannah, Aaron, and Chris went about their day on the 26th, knowing that Lauren was no longer at the campsite. She wanted to know why did they not report her missing? And a few days later, after Lauren was laid to rest, Sherry got a call from Ryan Melanson. And he told her about his suspicions. He claimed that the investigation was not handled properly. And that he himself believed the group Lauren was with that night was involved in her death somehow. Which is a huge allegation. Ryan was not an officer of the investigation department. So he wasn't able to work directly on the case. Despite his efforts of telling those on the investigation team what he saw and the concerns that he had. He said they basically weren't listening to him. So that's why he was reaching out to Sherry. Eventually, Officer Melanson reached out to Chris Yarchuk, and they all spoke on the phone and went over all of their concerns together. Yarchuk mentioned the strange bite mark on Lauren's chest, which was not mentioned in the autopsy. And then Ryan Melanson mentioned seeing a very distinct triangle mark towards the top of her stomach, basically at her sternum. And he said that the shape to him looks like the pointed end of a canoe, much like the one the group was using to get around the lake that weekend. And based on that, he suspected that Lauren could have been pinned between the canoe and something else for a period of time. Now, I didn't see in the autopsy report where that triangle mark was explained or if it was. So to me, that triangle marking was never explained away in the original autopsy report. But it's very distinct. If you look up pictures, you can see pictures of just that area. It's a very odd shape. So it definitely makes sense that it's related to something in particular, like the end of a canoe. But it's like every injury was explained away. But like, oh, she just fell down the rocks. Like, these are all the bruises and markings. It just, this one doesn't make sense. 
But back to the theory that she was likely pinned between a canoe and maybe like a rock or something. Well, if her upper body, like if she had done this to herself somehow, like if she had ended up at the end of the canoe and she like her, I don't know how she would have gotten herself in that position, but the way that it would have been, if she had done this, the upper part of her body would have been laying like into the canoe or she could have at least gotten her arms up and over. And if that was the case, then she could have likely tipped the canoe back over, like releasing herself from being pinned. However, that clearly didn't happen. So it leads you to think that if she was pinned by the canoe, that somebody else would have had to have been sitting inside it, keeping it from tipping over. And honestly, you could spiral down a whole rabbit hole with this mark on her body alone. But there is so much more to Lauren's death. Needless to say, Shara began looking into her daughter's death even more after this conversation, and she ultimately decided to hire private investigator Sheila Wysocki to carry out her own inquiry and report. Sheila reviewed the autopsy photos and saw the suspicious bite mark on Lauren's chest, and she noticed or she stated that it was more so on one of Lauren's breasts. Now, this bite mark has been disputed over and over. Some say it looks like a bite mark. Some say it just looks like a scratch. So, take that information and do what you want with it. But she also said that it looked like as though somebody had either choked her or held her down by her throat. Because she said that she had hemorrhaging in her throat. She also wanted answers from police on the rape test kit and why one had not been carried out. And the results that she got was kind of unbelievable and the most man explanation I've ever heard. And it's a little troubling and it might be hard to hear, especially from a male listener. Sorry, I'm kind of like ganging up on y'all today. But we're going to be talking briefly about feminine products, so bear with me. The response she received about the rape test not being conducted was because Lauren had been wearing a tampon. Therefore, she could not have been sexually assaulted. Now, I don't want to dwell on this, but it could be important. So, Lauren was not actually on her cycle at this time. So, some have speculated that the tampon was placed by her attacker as a decoy or That she wasn't raped and she was wearing the tampon just to be safe. If you're a girl, you get it. Again, don't want to dwell on this. But to say that she was not raped because she was wearing a tampon. I try not to cuss on this show. But this is the one time I'm about to. I don't even have a response to that. But that it's ignorant. And it just shows that you can't do your job. And that you're a grown man. Scared of a feminine product. There is clearly evidence or some evidence, even a sliver of, of suspicion. Do the test. Don't be stupid. Quit trying to close the case because you don't want to deal with it. This is the biggest example of that. And uh, it just fires me up. But I will try to calm down and move on. So Sheila and Chris Yartuk conduct some tests with a weighted crash test dummy. And... They decide to test this theory that Lauren could have simply fallen into the water and ended up in the cove where her body was found. They used the dummy and dropped it from the 90-foot side of the cliff, as well as the 35-40-foot side. 
And according to these tests, if her body had fallen from the 90-foot side, the current of the water at the time wasn't consistent with where Lauren's body was found. If she had fallen from that side, then her body should have floated towards the marina. When the tests were done on the opposite side, it showed the trees and debris would have blocked her fall and would have kept her from falling all the way down into the water. They conducted this specific test over 50 times, and the dummy never once made it more than halfway down the cliff and definitely never made it into the water. Needless to say, the private investigator did not believe that Lauren's death was the result of an accidental drowning or even just an accident in general. She also pointed out the lack of water in her lungs, which we already know, proving that Lauren died before she was placed into the water. She said in her own opinion that Lauren was either trying to get away or fighting, and as a result of that, she fell back and hit her head, which explains the blunt force trauma. There was also bruising on Lauren's thighs, which Sheila believed may have been caused by someone kneeling on her or holding her down. Now, from what I understand, the private investigator also tried talking to Hannah, Aaron, and Chris herself. I was only able to find record of one conversation, and that was with Hannah. And she really gave the same story. She even mentioned that she didn't know Chris well, but didn't think he was capable of killing Lauren. At least not without her hearing something. Which is like, you don't even know him. You're saying that you don't even know him. How can you be so confident that he didn't do something? But during this recorded interview, Hannah received a phone call from Aaron. And according to Sheila, she could hear Aaron on the other end. She couldn't make out everything that he said, but one thing she could hear very clearly was Aaron saying, stick to the story. Not only that, during her investigation, she noticed that about the time Hannah and Aaron moved to Florida together, mean comments about Lauren and the circumstances around her death started coming out online, including a lot of false statements. Sheila was able to track down the IP address where some of these comments were coming from, and turns out the IP address was believed to be on the same street that Hannah and Aaron lived on. And to Sheila, this was all she needed to hear, all she needed to see. So after Sheila's findings, Sherry filed a $10 million wrongful death lawsuit against Hannah, Aaron, Chris, and Brixner in December 2016. Sherry said the only reason she filed the lawsuit was to get these kids to talk, because at this point they had said nothing. But it was as clear to her that they knew more. After the wrongful death suit was filed and the chance of Lauren being beaten and possibly raped came out, Cassie Franks came forward and she said that she agreed with Sherry's findings and how she started having concerns about Aaron and his involvement in Lauren's death. Now, this was the same Cassie that was at Wakefest that weekend that Lauren had talked to, but Cassie was actually Aaron Lilly's ex-girlfriend. And according to her, Aaron had been violent with her in the past. She claimed that during their relationship, Aaron had choked, beaten, and bitten her. All of which appeared to have happened to Lauren. 
Cassie had pictures of her body showing proof of all this, and she even offered to give them to the DeKalb County investigators. But they declined to look at them because the case was supposedly closed at this point and Aaron was not a suspect. Sadly, the lawsuit went nowhere. Hannah, Aaron, Chris, and Brixner all pleaded the fifth, refusing to answer any questions that they were asked. The wrongful death lawsuit was thrown out in March of 2017 after the judge dismissed the testimony of Sheila, Chris Yarchuk, and Ryan Melanson. He also told Sherry that there was not one shred of evidence to indicate Lauren's death was anything more than an accident. Honestly, he sounded like a jerk, to put it lightly. (laughs) However, an appeals court ruled in 2019 that Sherry Smith could, in fact, sue Hannah, Aaron, and Chris Stout in relation to Lauren's death. In an interview with MTV that covered the case back in 2021, I believe, a forensic scientist named Mark Gillespie came forward and stated he didn't agree with the ruling of accidental drowning either. He said Lauren had bruising, but she would have had much deeper bruising with a fall that high. He said that she had a few minor scrapes. However, she should have had a lot of severe cuts, scrapes, and lacerations, but she did not. He went on to say her clothes were also in perfect condition, but would have been torn during a fall of that manner. But also, and more importantly, there was no water in her stomach or lungs at all, which would have been if she had truly been drowning. So the whole accidental drowning is BS, and that's been proven multiple times. So that is ultimately where the case stands today. The last post on the Facebook page called In Loving Memory of Lauren Taylor Agee was from 2019 regarding the Nashville Court of Appeals overturning the ruling. I will include a link to that that page in the show notes. I also found Lauren's sister Allison's blog. It's got a lot of information there, although it's a tough read because she said she started the blog to deal with her pain and to find an outlet for her feelings. I'll leave the link to that as well. Her last post was in 2022 and she said that she was thankful to everyone that is keeping her sister's story alive because that's the best thing we can do in an attempt to find answers. And that's ultimately what I want today's episode to be about, finding answers for this family. She finished her last blog post by saying, maybe one day I'll be able to make that wonderful final post identifying those responsible for her death. Until then, the search will continue. Thank you all, Allison. And that is where we leave the case of Lauren Ag. You guys already know what I think. I don't doubt for a second that those three or four people that were with Lauren that weekend had something to do with her death. I mean, to be completely honest, I have a strong feeling that it could have been an accidental death, maybe from hitting her head during a fight or something like that. And then Chris and Aaron covered it up somehow. I think these two had their story straight way too quickly and were very concerned about sticking to the story. I think that Hannah didn't know much, but 
knew more than she was letting on or knows more. I think she was way too quick to defend Chris when she didn't even know him, yet she knew Lauren since they were kids. Chris is just way too suspicious for me. I don't know if he intentionally killed her, but I certainly think he had something to do with her death. At the very least, I don't buy that she fell off the cliff and drowned. The evidence the PI found proves that's impossible. For me, it was the fact that the wounds didn't match a very serious fall like that. There was no water in her lungs, so that she clearly died before hitting the water. And it's the fact that her clothes looked completely normal. If you're falling down either a 90-foot cliff or a 40-foot cliff, your clothes should be torn up, but they weren't. This is a tough one, guys, and it's it's hard for me to talk about clearly because I get a little fired up on this one. But as always, I want to know your thoughts. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more insight into the case as well as updates to come, hopefully, fingers crossed. But unrelated to the episode today, I did post a story over the weekend on the podcast Instagram page. It was a picture of a coffee mug with the podcast logo. Now, I fully made this for myself for something you'll hopefully be seeing later this week. I don't actually have merch out yet, but I'm curious. If I were to offer merch, would you buy it? If so, what would you want? Stickers, coffee mugs, shirts? Let me know. I'll put something out on the Instagram or Facebook page to get your opinions and I'll start looking into it. Merch is a little intimidating for me, but I want to give you guys what you want. So let me know and I'll see what I could do. With that said, that's going to do it for me this week, guys. I'll be back in two weeks for a brand new episode. Until then, stay safe. Bye.